All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors. If you want more information on the company I own, visit TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. My co-host today is Brad Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. You can find out more about Muskie Mayhem Tackle by visiting www.muskymayhemtackle.com. And our guest today, since, hey, Brad, it's light again. It's weird. We've been doing this a lot in the light. Our yeah, guest, that's strange. <laughs> <laughs> it is strange. Usually it's 10 o'clock at night. So our guest for today, which is Tuesday, September 3rd, we had somebody asking us, hey, can you kind of timestamp this so that we know what the, you know, what, what it's like as far as, you know, how it's going on. Like if we're not listening to these in advance or in, in order, they want to just know about, you know, time frame. So it's Tuesday, September 3rd. This is the most accurate podcast you're ever going to get from us because it needs to come out on Wednesday. So we literally had to get this done today. But without further ado, Steve Jensen from Jensen's Fish Hunts Guide Service is our guest today. You can find Steve at, I believe it's fishhunts.com. And I'm sure Steve will be able to give you out his phone number and his information if you want one of his three guide trips or dates that he has left this year. <laughs> Steve can also be found uh, almost weekly on our YouTube channel. If you check out Team Rhino Outdoors on YouTube, Steve's on there pretty frequently along with a host of other guests, including my co-host today, Brad Hoppy, was on an episode a couple weeks back, so check that out. Steve, thanks for coming on today. How are you? I am awesome. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to talk with two of my best buddies about muskie fishing any day of the week. So a uh, pleasure to be here, and hopefully we can provide a little bit of insight and uh, help these guys out catch a few more muskies this fall. Well, I'm sure you can do that, Steve. You've always, uh, you've always been in there in the clutch. So, you know, we've, we've actually shared the boat a few times as well, and we've always seemed to sneak something out. Absolutely. Yeah. I was just thinking of that before you guys called, uh, I've spent some good times back in the times when I was filming with Mike keys all the time. Uh, we spent a few days up there filming with you over the years and caught some beautiful fish out of your lake there and always had a good time. And like you say, always had some good luck. So that's good karma and good mojo. So hopefully we keep that going. Exactly. It's funny when we're filming with YouTube, I always tell everybody, Steve and I, we don't always dominate every time we're on the water together, but we always get the job done. Always. That's just how Steve is. Just grinds to the end and gets the job done. Yeah, I'm a grinder. There's no doubt. Um, I've been doing it a long time, and, you know, there's no magic recipe in musky fishing, as you guys well know. Um, it's just time on the water and spending good time in good places for as much time as you possibly can and, and doing the right things, and that usually results in putting a few muskies in the net. Well, Steve, let's talk about um, putting some net muskies in the net. So we're a day after the Labor Day weekend. Before we get into the background of it, let's just go with some up-to-date muskie fishing information. Brad, you told me a couple stories before we started recording about how you've been getting out. I've got out over the weekend, and Steve is obviously out almost all the time. Oh, it sounds like, Brad, you're out all the time too anyways. So, Steve, why don't you talk to us a little bit about up-to-date, what's going on on the water right now? Well, I'll tell you what, guys, uh, things are certainly changing here in Hayward. I guide primarily in the Hayward area of northwestern Wisconsin. I fish a lot of different bodies of water. I fish probably 20 different lakes throughout the course of the season. Um, so I do have a, you know, kind of a wide breadth of, uh, you know, different types of water that I can fish. And depending on type of time of season and type of weather that I have, I choose different lakes based on that. But Right now, we're finally getting the cooling. Uh, it's cooling down. Um, the leaves are starting to change. I've seen a drop in water temp of about three to five degrees already, um, which is pushing these fish shallow. 
Uh, we had a pretty warm summer here, so we did have a lot of fish out deep and off the edges um, using deeper water. And I think a lot of those fish are now returning back to the edges and returning back into the shallows. And I'm even seeing some fish push up very shallow. Well, we got out for a half-day trip this morning here before I was chatting with you guys, and we got a nice fish in the boat, and that fish was up on top of a rock bottom, probably one or two feet of water. So certainly seeing that movement shallow, and the fish are getting a lot more aggressive. They're getting madder, a little meaner, uh, striking with more uh, force, and certainly becoming a lot more aggressive, which everybody wants to see aggressive muskies, of course. So that's what's been happening here. Uh, like I say, the fish are moving shallow, so the blades and top water are starting to kick in. Uh, we got that fish this morning on a musky mayhem cowgirl junior. Imagine that, Brad. Um, but the top water's starting to go too. We've had some bites on the Lake X stuff here in the last few days, and uh, that's always one of my favorite times of year for top water. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that getting rolling here as the water temp continues to drop. I think we're kind of experiencing almost the same thing over here, uh, Steve. You know, we've uh, it's been one of the tougher years in musky fishing, and I. I I think you would agree with that. Um, I will. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, we always want to brag and tell how easy it is to catch these fish. And when you go fishing every day and you put the time and you'll, you'll grind your fish out. But I tell you what, it has been uh, even harder this year than normal. There's not a lot of action. We're still getting the bites. But, man, it seemed like you had to work for them. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, it's been the same here. And and we're seeing kind of some of the same stuff. I mean, obviously, the blade bite is still going. But, uh Again, you said top water. Um, we're experiencing the same thing. I know I've been throwing some pacemakers and things like that, and definitely uh, getting some fish to move on them. We haven't actually connected with the top water, but but uh, definitely fish following and chasing and slapping at it. So it won't be long. Yeah, yeah. Any day we had a beauty actually grab it the other day, and uh, we watched your shark up, and I had just described how you know if you pay attention, sometimes you'll actually see the fish engage the bait, and you'll see the water start to rise up, and you'll actually sometimes see the tail. And literally five minutes after I'm describing this, the exact perfect textbook example of a fish just pushing awake. I'm like, get ready, and she sharked right up on it and wrapped around and just creamed it. But he was so jacked up, he ripped her out right about the time she grabbed it. So uh, we didn't get her. Didn't get her pinned. She was hooked for just a little bit, but it was a nice mid-40s fish. And, again, that fish was way up in shallow water, probably three feet or less. So um, that's fun. And then big girls get up shallow. They get aggressive. There's no doubt. That's cool stuff, too. I mean, just to be able to see that, just that alone is fun. So Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's a whole part of the experience. Obviously, you miss a few more on top water than you do on the blades and things like that. But, uh it's always a fun thing to do in this time of year, especially here in Hayward, the September uh, month of September, late August through the middle of September is usually prime time for that. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And it looks like we're going to probably end up with a, another major kind of cold front here in this next week or so. Um, even today, today's pretty dreary here by me, but I'm not sure what, you know. Did you have sun over there today or no? I tell you what, no, we had uh, pretty good storms again last night. And this morning, it felt like fall. It was about 50, 55 with a little bit of drizzle and a lot of wind. We've had high winds here for about three, four days. And uh, it's definitely mixing up the water and I think helping to bring that water temperature down. Uh, but uh, it's amazing how fast this uh, this water temperature is starting to go and how fast the leaves here are starting to change. I think it's going to be an early fall. and uh, Hopefully, the bite just stays good. and and we have a good fall bite, and I'm expecting it to be because it has been such a difficult summer. And I've seen years in the past where we've had those difficult seasons, spring and summer were tough, and you get into that fall period. In fact, last year was one of them. 
pretty similar. I had a tough season through a good portion of it, and then by the time the fall came around, the, the fish were very aggressive. We were catching multiple fish basically daily, and I'm looking forward to hopefully a similar situation this year. I would agree with you. It's not too much unlike last year, that's for sure. So, I don't know. September is always my favorite month. I love it. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what they're going to do here because uh, we had a couple fish come unglued over the right before the weekend, um, Labor Day weekend. We had a ton of pressure. I don't know if you're seeing that over there too, but you know it's finally going away. But yeah, we've had plenty of people fishing this year. There's no doubt about that. I actually had to laugh today, being the first day after Labor Day, and I was the only boat on the lake the whole time of our guide trip. So. Um, it was a joy to see that once again. Look forward to that time on the water too when everybody leaves. It's funny you guys talk about about pressure because honestly, this weekend for me up in I was up in northeast Wisconsin, you know, a little bit opposite from where Steve is. There wasn't hardly any pressure at all. Um, I didn't see. We fished one one lake two times. I think didn't see a single musky angler on the boat or on the water. Barely even saw anybody pleasure boating. But again, I mean, again, this weekend wasn't like your typical Labor Day weekend where it's like the last hurrah to get 75, 80 degrees. It was cool up north all weekend. But then I, I fished another lake, which gets typically a lot of musky pressure. And I saw like one boat musky fishing for, I think we were out there three different mornings. Interesting. And I only saw one, I only saw one boat out musky fishing. And like the spot that I fished is, yeah, it's pretty, like I fished, I kind of pounded one spot pretty hard because I know that they push up into there. And it was really, um, I expected to see two or three boats every morning out there, but I didn't see anyone. Like we literally had one guy that made a, you know, like a just halfway drifted across it, didn't really work it real well. And he was gone. That was it. And I, so I didn't hardly see any musky pressure this weekend. It was strange. That's probably a testament to maybe how difficult the bite has been too. Cause a lot of people are getting a little worn out on it. Um, especially if you put in a lot of time this year and haven't had a lot of success. So it gets difficult, especially if you don't have the right mentality. So who knows? Maybe that's the, the deal over there. But uh, we certainly had plenty of people fishing here this weekend, that's for sure. And I was on the Chippewa Floyd, which, you know, everybody hears on ship, and I honestly don't fish it a lot because it is so popular and so well-known. But uh, I'll tell you what, there's plenty of guys out there. and um, Like we were discussing before, uh, we got on the air here, Brad and I, uh, the, the fishing on the chip has really been been good the last two weeks here. A lot of fish um, and some really nice ones, some big fish, fish over 50 inches as well as a bunch of upper 40s. And uh, it seems like a lot of guys are doing well. So I, I'm assuming that's the reason why there's so many guys fishing out there. But um, it's good to see people fishing. But I also love it when I'm the only guy on the lake. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, well, in both Jeff and I's businesses, we want as many people fishing as we can. But <laughs> True story. And I know, honestly, I kind of do, too, as long as they go fishing with me at least once. But yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> it is good to have people out there utilizing their resource. And I tell you what, the way that uh, business has been going, both for me and I know for you guys as well, uh, that sure seems like there's no shortage of people that want to go musky fishing these days. You can't really blame them, can you, Steve? Nope. <laughs> I have fished all over the world. Uh, I've done many things, including ocean. Uh, fished all over the U.S. and the muskie is still by far my favorite. Um, doesn't compare. Just the thrill of the hunt and uh, things that they do uh, certainly set that fish apart and make it very unique. Cool, cool. So, Steve, let's we will we will eventually get into your background, but since we're talking about current fishing, let's talk for a minute about the shallow water bite. 
is, I mean, obviously we know it's starting right now with the cool down and water temperatures that we've seen in the, in the Midwest or North. Um, how long, how long do you typically fish in, in those shallow weeds and you know, how long are you using top water? We'll, we'll get into suckers a little bit later, but let's not talk about those right now. Um, cause obviously fall is a perfect sucker time. We haven't talked about it at all on, on the, um, podcast. Yeah. What's your, what's your program over there? Well, I'll tell you what, it really depends on what mother nature does for me. If we have a super fast cool down, this period can last a couple of weeks. If it's a slower cool down, it can last up to a month. Um, but basically what it comes down to is, um, the fish will stay shallow all the way up to the turnover period. And then depending on turnover and how fast that happens after that, um, they certainly do sort of re-spread out and you'll have fish doing all kinds of things, moving deep in between as well as staying shallow. Um, and not all of our lakes here turn over at the same time. We have so many different bodies of water. So the smaller, shallower lakes are going to turn faster. The deeper, um, clear lakes typically turn over later. Um, I also have numerous rivers and flowages that don't t- turn over whatsoever. Um, so a lot of times I will target those bodies of water when we're in that middle of that turnover period because it can be difficult fishing. So basically I'm watching that, uh, adjusting the lakes that I fish according to what I'm seeing, how fast the water temperature is dropping. Um, and then once we get into that turnover period, uh, I'll stay shallow as long as I can get bites there, but I'm certainly going to start exploring deeper. Um, and that can be anywhere from the last week of September into the first or second week of October, kind of depending on the weather patterns and how things go. For for listeners that might not know about turnover, you want to talk a little bit about that, give guys an idea of when it starts, kind of just talk about what it does, like the whole process of it? Yeah, yeah, you bet. Um, the whole process basically revolves around the density of water. Um, as water cools in the fall, cool water is denser than warm water. So as that surface layer cools, um, it will become denser than the warmer water below, and it'll actually roll the whole body of water water over. And when you roll that volume of water over, you generally have, uh, you'll see some sort of bloom, you'll see green color, you'll see a lot of decaying vegetation, you'll see algae. Um, The lake becomes very dirty, um, so to speak. And when you're in that process, that's the way to look. And you'll see this sometimes gradually coming out in the form of just color in the water, um, or weeds breaking down, things like that. Uh, The water temperature range that happens is typically, Starting in the low 60s to upper 50s, and usually most lakes are turned over or turning over around that mid 50s, so 56 to 54. And then typically, once you get under about 54 degrees, most lakes have completed the process and they're starting to clean up again, and the fishing usually gets back to good. Um, and then that's typically when we start to retreat to a little bit deeper water and then progressively deeper as the fall gets colder. That's turnover in a nutshell. And that's perfect because, I, I mean, it's one of those things that guys talk about, but I don't necessarily know that everybody knows exactly the whole process and what the deal is. Right, what what's happening. Yeah, and it's, it's basically that volume of water rolling over as it cools in the fall and that dense water sinks, and it mixes the whole body of water up, which it turns oxygen all the way down to the bottom, um, even in the deepest water. The thermocline breaks down. And uh, basically, it's just a, a time of turmoil, so to speak, in the lake. And usually, it is difficult fishing. Um, a lot of times, what I'll see right during that turnover period, if you are stuck on a lake during turnover and have to be fishing and want to be fishing, is uh, you'll see fish push right tight to shore. And I am not a shore pounder in any way, shape, or form. Um, but it is the one time of year where the guy who's throwing right up to shore 
is usually doing the best. And sometimes I actually miss out on it because I don't um, go to that pattern too often. But um, if you are stuck in that sort of situation, that would be the first thing that I would try is just try pounding shoreline, tight to cover, tight right up to the to hard banks. And usually you can get a, a bite or two doing that. But it's not an easy time period. Um, usually I'll just retreat and find other places that don't have turnover going on. Either hit a flowage or hit a lake that is done or a lake that's just starting. So. Yeah, that's good that you mentioned that, you know, flowages, because that's one thing I was going to say. If guys are struggling during ton- turnover, typically a river is a place to go because they don't turn over. Absolutely. And I spend a ton of my time on current um, places that have current um, during that time period because it does. Uh, it seems like those places cool down faster and it seems like the fish get more aggressive um, during that time period. And it just seems to produce better fishing when. You know, you're struggling on some of those lakes that, uh, that don't have that current situation. Yeah, there's no doubt. Like for me with turnover, um, one of the things that's probably the most frustrating is, is once a lake does flop, if we get that warm-up period right after that, it'll flip-flop again and then it's back again. and um, It just becomes a huge challenge. Um, yep. Generally speaking, I like bail. <laughs> Go find a different body of water, right? Yep, and that's unlucky here because I have that ability. So many different lakes. If uh, if I do get in the situation, I basically look for something different. Well, we jumped into information right away, which we typically don't do. We usually, if you're a first time guest, as Steve is, why don't we get a why don't we get a little update on background on you, Steve? Let's talk about what got you into musky fishing. Kind of give guys an idea of all the different places you've traveled, all the different adventures you've taken. I know you've taken a pile of them because i've been on a few of them lately <laughs> but uh you kind of get all over everywhere and this year more than ever and we've been all over the place filming yeah that's a fact jeff um i am a musky addict as most of you know uh, i have been fishing muskies i think i caught my first one when i was maybe 10 or 11 years old didn't really get super hooked on them until i was in my teens and 20s um and then they became addicting i had to be fishing for them basically anytime i had free time uh, I have a degree in fisheries biology and water resources from the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. Uh, when I graduated college, I went up and captained a commercial fishing boat to the same boat up in Alaska. And then when I returned back from there, I took a job managing a fish farm, a yellow perch farm down near um, Lake Poygan, which is in the central portion of the state. And I started guiding uh, in the evenings and weekends during that time because I was fishing recreationally so much that I needed to figure out how to start making money doing it. Just built up a few, a little bit of clientele there, and in the year 2000, which was now 19 seasons ago, I moved up here full-time, which is the Hayward area, and I've been fishing basically every day since, and uh, it's been awesome. Uh, I love the thrill of chasing muskies. It's, it's like putting a puzzle together every day. Some years, it's more of a puzzle than others, this year especially so, um, but that's the thing that I like about it as a challenge. I think if I could go and easily catch them every day without having to think about it and work hard. Um, that would lose a little bit of its allure. I have fished all over the country. I have fished in Canada, lots of time on Lake of the Woods. Uh, I fished the Professional Muskie Tournament Trail, the PMTT, since 2002. Um, I've done quite well with that over the years. Uh, a couple of first-place wins, one on Malax in 2014 and one down in Kentucky in 2011. Um, I also won the World Muskie Tour Championship over in Eagle River in 2012, which was a $50,000 victory which to date was our biggest win and an amazing accomplishment at that time, for sure. Uh, now I'm primarily just guiding here in the Hayward area. 
although I did guide through the glory years over on Lake Malax, which Brad probably remembers very well. Well, we were able to see some of the most amazing musky fishing that man has probably ever seen or ever will see um, fishing through that the beginning of that fishery over there. Um, I have fished uh, all the way south as far as Tennessee, Kentucky. I fished Ohio, Michigan, Minnesota, Illinois, Indiana, uh, many of the Great Lakes, uh, Ontario, uh, you name it, I've been there. And I uh, caught muskies in most of those places. So when you fish so many different places, so many different people, you get a wide breadth or, you know, just a huge view. Of, there's not one way to do it. And I've been able to fish with a lot of great anglers over the years um, in many of these different regions. And uh, it's amazing the amount of knowledge and, you know, just the amount of different techniques and ways to catch muskies that I've picked up by fishing all these different places. And then you take that home and kind of apply what works for you. And a lot of times it brings a lot of success. And it's amazing to me how many different ways there is to catch muskies. There's no one way to do it. I've been fishing them now for 35 years, and I probably still have more questions than I do answers every day. It's, it's, it's amazing fishing that way. And it always keeps you guessing, and you always got to keep trying to figure out that puzzle, which ain't easy. Certainly not. As I, think, know. <laughs> I do think that that's part of the allure. So, you know what I mean? I. If it was easy, um, ourselves, I'm guessing, wouldn't be involved. You know what I mean? And, right. Uh, and I think, you know, the daily grind and the daily struggle, it's an important part to this whole thing, in, in a sense. Um, if if it was really super easy, if it was bass fishing, say it was bass fishing, everybody would be out there doing it, you know? Um, it's a special breed that we are. And um, I don't know. I take some pride in that as well. Oh, we're special, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing. I, mean, I don't know if that's the right term, but we are different, that's for sure. And I often wish that I could have went into bass fishing because I would have made a lot more money a lot faster than I ever did chasing these stupid muskies. But I could have never done it. It would never have been right. And uh, certainly glad every day I get to go fishing. And like Jeff said, this year we've been... Uh, traveling again doing a lot of filming for the team rhino youtube channel and we've been basically all over the midwest this year chasing fish in uh three four different states and um it's fun to go do that and take the adventure and, and uh, see what musky fishing is like in different areas you know and i encourage all people who haven't traveled in musky fish do it go check out some places that you've never been and go down south and go up to canada and go to some cool places because there's a lot of musky opportunity musky fishing opportunities out there right now that's for sure there's no doubt. Yeah, it's certainly been a fun summer just chasing around at the different places we've been, Steve. And most of the people, if they follow our YouTube channel, haven't even seen hardly any of the adventures we've taken. We've taken some cool ones. Right, of what what we've done. Yeah, absolutely. And they say there's no end to it. You know, you can always find new and cool things. And obviously chasing the hot bite, places like Lake Sinclair and things like that are, are fun. But there's a lot of cool out-of-the-way places that guys aren't hitting and uh, that go under the radar that are a lot of fun, too. A lot of our river trips that we do, they're a lot of fun. Um, certainly different. Um, and, you know, just, just finding that variety of musky fishing, I think, has been fun for me, especially now that I do it so much. I could never just fish the same lake like some of the guys up here do. They just go to the Chippewa Flows every day. And for me, that would, I would lose the, I would lose the fun um, by having to do that. I, just, I certainly like variety, and I actually really fish a lot of different lakes just for that very reason, um, just to keep it fresh and keep it different. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, Steve. I know we, you and I, we have a, a lot of time in the boat. We talk about a lot of different topics. Let's talk about 
like how you select a lake because you're up there in northern Wisconsin and I mean we've you and I have probably fished I don't know 15 different lakes together possibly how is it how is it guys you know select a lake when in in an area like such as yours where there's so much variety how do you how do you choose on a day-to-day basis well there's a lot of factors that go into that sometimes it's what the client wants where they're staying um, a lot of times it's a seasonal thing. Most of my clients now at this point know they want to trust me and know that I want to take them where the fishing is going to be the best. Um, so if they're staying on a lake that I don't feel is the right choice, I will certainly, you know, suggest something different. Um, typical scenarios here up north for me, um, early season, I'm usually choosing darker, shallower bodies of water that warm faster. The fish spawn in them earlier. Um, I'm usually having more success on those bodies of water earlier in the season. Kind of avoiding my deep clear lakes. Not that you can't have good fishing on those as well. You certainly can. Um, but musky fishing is all about percentages, so I try to put the percentages in our favor. As the season progresses and the lakes warm up, you kind of see a reverse where those dark, shallow bodies of water get warm, the fish get lethargic, the fishing actually gets stale. And now these deep clear bodies of water are actually beginning to come into their peak and their prime, and the fish there are very active, very catchable. And you'll go through a time period where the season is the warmest, where those are usually the better choices. And you kind of have a reverse in the fall. In the fall, it can be, both can be good, depending on seasonal conditions. Um, turnover is certainly a factor. Um, temperature, how fast that temperature is dropping is certainly a factor. Um, and then, of course, what my clients are looking for, do they want to catch a bunch of fish today or do they want to shot at one big one? Um, I'm certainly going to factor that into the equation. Um, certain lakes up here have a higher population, but you're not going to catch a 15 inch or two often. And then we have other lakes where you're not going to encounter a fish every day, but certainly if you do, it's going to be a larger model. Um, so that factors into it as well, depending on what the clientele is looking for. I have literally so many different bodies of water. It's, it's pretty awesome to have those abilities to choose. And honestly, now, Jeff, so many of my clients have fished with me so often that I'm literally trying to find new lakes for them to keep it real and fresh and new for them. Um, so a lot of times I will factor in how many times I've taken certain clients to certain lakes, what they've caught there. And I will a lot of times be looking for a new lake or a new adventure or something different uh, to keep them interested and keep them coming back as well. Well, hopefully when I'm up in two weeks, we can find a new adventure for one one day at least. Yeah, we've used a bunch up, but I always have a few up my sleeve. You know that. Yeah, I was talking to Alexis yesterday, and she's disappointed she doesn't get to come up. She wanted to go fishing after you got her hooked last, uh, when was it, earlier this mo- or earlier in August? Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, which it was a blast. We had Alexis, uh, just an old daughter up, and she's on the quest to catch her first musky casting, which after a couple of days she did accomplish. Um, not a monster by any means, but her first one all on her own. And basically, as we were cleaning up for the day, hey, Jeff, we had put all her stuff away. And- yeah, it was literally... F- She's a trooper, man. She's still chunking away and caught her on a bulldog, so she was certainly working for it. I know she's going to get a big one yet this year, too. Yeah, it was no different this past weekend. I had her out again, and every morning I would wake her up at 5.30, say, all right, we're going to go out fishing, and she would get up, and she would go, and she would throw every single, like, she was just, you know, it to see it, it makes me kind of proud, but it's kind of sad at the same time, thinking, like, man, this girl is just doomed because she just wants to catch one so bad not not one because like you said she got the one yeah this weekend we had her on i had her on fish she had one that just came up and ate the back half for a bulldog then we had one on that 
that mimic bait brad that you and i have that's exclusive through us i i had one blow up on it on the boat so i kept handing her baits any bait i had action i just kept handing to her she lost one yesterday morning had it hooked at the boat again and it just thrashed around a little too much and she got it got off and you know, I literally had to tell her yesterday, Alexis, we have to get home. We have a lot of work to do in the shop. We got to get the camper cleaned up. We got to go. And she's like, come on, dad, just one more cast. And I'm like, you've been, you've been out with us for like 20 hours or 25 hours this weekend. Like you can give up anytime you want, but she's, she's determined. It's crazy to see it because poor little girl. Yeah. It's refreshing. It's refreshing to see that kind of determination, you know, especially in a team like that and after a goal that isn't the easiest to obtain so uh, hopefully she takes that kind of mentality towards other things in life she'll be awesome how old is she jeff she's 13 yeah i've had her out fishing before like before this season she she had been wanting to catch one casting and we have spent a little time not a ton um sometimes the kid the boys like i got two younger sons they'd want to go my my daughter hannah she really wants nothing to do with fishing for the most part she likes to come out to the shop and help out but she doesn't want to fish so alexis always wants to cast but when the boys come they're too young so we generally will troll so alexis has got she had one trolling prior to this season and we've tried to get him casting but a couple times you know we're getting the casting stuff ready and the boys are like dad i want to go and i'm like oh okay well let's put the trolling stuff in the lake or in the boat and so alexis is like oh, i just want to go catch one casting so that's why this year was the quest to get her one casting and like Steve said, it was literally like the last cast of the day of that trip. I mean, Steve's like, we're going to fish to that dock. And the boat floated over to the dock, right, when we were releasing the fish. Yep. And I literally, I had my bait packed up. I had the camera. I was just taking like B-roll shots of her casting, and she hooked it. it you know, like I said, it wasn't a giant, but it was a muskie. <laughs> she smiled a lot. So that was good. I just was hoping this weekend. And just the amount of time and effort that you put in, you know, I have clients that won't even do that, you know, so. Well, to see, she'll get she'll get her her share of fish. I'm sure it's definitely fun to watch her work. Yeah, it was it was something else. That's there's no doubt about that. Well, we kind of spent the weekend kind of doing the same thing. Uh, Billy Beekner came up and joined me this weekend. With oh, his nice. Son. Um, and Carter, his son is now nine years old. Yep. Um, has caught one trolling, but not casting. And of course, there's no competition. My daughter, she's eight, and so. <laughs> she's like well if he's fishing i get to fish so literally we spent quite a bit of time with them and and carter ended up having some really close calls we didn't get it done with them but uh good stuff you know i mean eight and nine years old and they're both uh fired up and working hard at catching them first muscle so well with you two as their guide i think they're not going to have too much of a problem accomplishing that goal that's for sure (laughs) well most of it's just timing right you know yeah Unfortunately, sure. I don't get enough time with her right. in the boat, but man, we had a blast. We really did. I totally get that. I, like I said, I enjoyed having my daughter in there. At the end of the day yesterday, it just felt a little sad though. I mean, just, you know how it is, Brad. You see him work so hard, you want to see him accomplish the goal. Obviously, there's, you know, much like life, there's no guarantees in musky fishing. So, you know, just because you work hard doesn't mean you're going to have success. Usually, usually, the one that works harder has a better shot at it, but in this particular instance, it didn't happen. So, We'll keep grinding. Fishing is never fair. I've always said that, and it's amazing. I've had clients that have fished years and trying to get their fish and can't get it done, and then a guy will come for a four-hour trip and catch four, you know, and 
it's just never fair, and it's not always how good you are at fishing. Sometimes it is, but not always. Muskies have a way of kind of leveling that playing field, too. Just got to put your time in, and hopefully uh, you've been living right, and the muskie gods will look down on you. I got a fishing is not fair story from this past weekend. So Saturday morning, it was pretty cold up north. I think it was like 38 degrees overnight from Friday night. Yep. Um, that was the coldest morning we had. So we had Alexis out at 6 o'clock in the morning throwing. She was throwing a 10-inch weighted suic. Same one that I, I got that 46 on with you, Steve. Yep, yep. And so I felt good about it. I'm like, here, just throw this bait. I know I know what's caught muskies. I know it can work on this lake. Her hands are getting cold. Of course, like I'm not, it's, you know, still August. I don't have gloves and stuff in my boat yet. Usually. Yeah, speaking of which, I need to get those in the boat. Yeah, exactly. Normally by, you know, mid to late September, I have hand warmers and extra pairs of gloves and all sorts of stuff in my boat. Try to keep your hands warm. I didn't have anything. So she's like, well, you know, what do I do? I can barely hold the rod. I said, well, just take 10 minutes off, put your hands in your pockets, sit on them, whatever, warm your hands up. Well, in the meantime, I pick up her suic and I smashed a 41 on it. And you want to see a little kid get kind of crabby. That was, that was it because she wasn't real impressed. But she got over it. She was happy to see a crabby muskie get in the net. But that was my story. Like I'm like, oh, Lexi, I feel bad for you because I wanted you to catch that one because honestly, Steve, you know how <laughs> – you know how I am. I wanted her to catch a fish more than I wanted to catch one. I know. I could just imagine your face and that fish hit. You were probably just horrified. <laughs> I, I almost was, actually. Like, it was such a disappointment. For I mean, I was happy because, like, we got a muskie. Like, obviously, we're running we're running cameras again for the YouTube stuff. We're trying to catch muskies. So we got one. So I was happy about that. Yep. But I'm like, oh, why could she not have just picked up the rod and made that cast? And obviously, you know how it is. I mean, sometimes it's cadence and how somebody works a bait, so there was no guarantee she was going to catch it, but it was it was disappointing to see how that went down, but it was, you know, like I said, it was it was good to have her in the boat. I was happy to have her in the boat. It was fun. For sure. And speaking of cadence and how you work your lures, Jeff, that's kind of, if I was going to have one tip for, for muskie anglers and how to make you a better muskie angler, in general, it would be learning how to work your lures and learn how to work them and a different fashion and in, in that you always want to be adding action there's very rarely a time when i'm straight reeling in a bucktail or a top one i'm always adding direction changes speed changes subtle little things um even with our jerk baits subtle little movements longer pauses um triggering by running your bait into cabbage and, and vegetation and cover and then breaking it free um, all these things that people try to avoid are really things that trigger muskies. And I think if there's one thing that I could tell people to make them better, learn how to work your lures and then watch somebody who fishes every day, how they work their baits and try to mimic that. And that it's, it's amazing to me and how many times I'll describe to clients or first time people or people getting in the boat, how to work a lure, how to use certain triggers to make that lure get the response and they will do it for a few casts. And then they literally totally forget about it most of the rest of the day. And you keep reminding and keep reminding them that at some point, you know, it gets old to them that you kind of harping on them. But the reality is, is most of my bites come on some sort of little move or little trigger that I did with the presentation that I'm using to make that first bite. And I don't know, Brad, you probably agree too. It's all about how you work your bait and, and having confidence and then making it do things that make most people want to bite. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Steve. I mean, I think we'd all agree weather is probably the biggest factor, but then right. when it comes down to it, it's uh, speed of retrieval and, and making the little different idiosyncrasies that make fish click. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's triggers, triggers, triggers for me. And, you know, that 
I fish an area where obviously there's lots of muskie fishermen here. There's plenty of guys throwing plenty of lures, and there's plenty of cowgirls and cowgirl juniors going over the very same spots that I'm fishing. But if I'm coming behind and fishing them at a different pace or direction changes or slowing and speeding up and um, all the little different things that I do to make that thing look like it's alive, um, I can get a bite out of fish that, you know, certainly would let other lures go by. And, um, I think once I show people that a few times and you get that bite, um, you gain their confidence. But until people get to see that, visually, it's hard for them to have the confidence in, in, in all those little direction changes and little speed changes and little triggers that it takes. And uh, When you're doing it for eight or ten hours and you don't get a response, I get it. But for me, I'm always expecting a bite every single time my lure hits the water and every single time it comes up to the boat. So I'm always ready. Um, and having that mentality, I think, would be another thing to kind of instill into my clients and, and people that don't mostly fish as much as we do, is you always have to be ready and you always have to expect it. Every time I throw that thing out, I'm expecting something to jump on it. Um, there's never a cast that I make where I don't expect to get a bite. And, and when I fish like that, when I do get a bite, I'm always ready. And it can happen very, very fast, as you guys have witnessed. No, it's amazing. You, you, you hit it on the head, Steve. I think... Uh... A great example of uh, direction change, I mean, think about a figure eight. Why do they eat on the eight? Well, you just had one of the most incredible direction changes. Maybe it's a speed change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a figure eight, it's not all about just the, the direction change in that first L turn. You know, change the depth of the bait in the water as well, you know. And so little upswings with your baits can be incredible. That definitely triggers fish. Um yeah, it's all those little things that make the difference. And, you know, you, you said another thing that I was joking about this weekend. We were struggling. We were really, really beating the, the water and not having any real success other than a few follows here and there. And they looked at me and uh, the guys that were with me <laughs> and uh, they said, you know, don't you get discouraged? Don't you get down? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm so stupid. I just keep thinking every cast is going to be a bite. And and that's the way I fish. And you just said that as well, Steve. I mean, you have to think that and you have to believe in what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The other thing, too, getting back on the figure eight thing is just because you don't see a muskie, don't, I mean, it's probably talked about a million times, but don't, you know, just continue to do your figure eight. The one, the one that my daughter had up on a bulldog literally shot out from underneath the bottom of the boat. I mean, it, she didn't see it coming in. I was, I watched her bait quite a bit because I had her up front. I fished in the middle and I had my buddy Kyle in the back, and I was literally watching her bait come in all the time, come in all the time. And this muskie just shot out right from underneath the bottom of the boat and hit it. So just assume, <laughs> you know, like I said, just don't, you know, don't just, uh, you know, assume that because there's not one following. Just continue to go through your figure eight. Don't just, you know, give it a half ass opportunity and uh you know and and that way just continue to go through your figure eight motion like you should and you know good things can happen the other blind figure eight bites are awesome they're the best (laughs) yeah they're not if you're a 13 year old girl you tend to scream a lot (laughs) (laughs) well one thing i can say about this year too and i think it's not unlike last year um and i don't know if you're seeing this steve but we're getting a lot of lazy follows. Like they're just kind of hanging behind the bait, maybe even, you know, six, 10 feet. And uh, yeah. so if you're not making a full, at least that first full circle, you might not see them. The other thing is that we've had a lot of deep fish too, where, you know, they're coming in say four to six feet down and, <laughs> you know, maybe you can't see that far in your water, but most of the water I fish, you can. Um yeah. 
but making that first L coming around and making basically a full eight can make the difference at times. Yep. And those fish, you know, we, we've talked about the death paws many times on in our filming deal, but those are fish that I always try to catch with the death paws or the quick paws, you know, in that five or 10 foot out range, um, try and get them to bite out there before you get them into the boat. Cause a lot of times once you get them into the boat, then they just will lose interest or, or turn off, you know? So a lot of times I'm trying to trigger those fish a little bit further out. Um, which obviously is easier said than done on um, many days, but uh, that's certainly the tactic. If I'm seeing that, I'm I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to trigger them just a little bit further out. Yeah, that death pause can be uh, key. Yeah. I saw it this weekend a couple times. That one I got on the Suic, that was on a pause. That one that we got filming with you, that 46, that was on the pause too. Yeah. Kyle, that was fishing with me this weekend, he got one out of the, on that same uh, whitehead carp Suic or copper carp Suic. Same thing, yeah. death pause. Of course, Alexis had to teach him how to death pause because she thinks she's a master <laughs> now, which is pretty funny. That's awesome. Yeah, she's like, no, Kyle, you have to do the death pause. And she literally said death pause because obviously she spent two days in the boat with you and I. Yeah, too many times around us. For yep, sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So you guys are talking about figure eights from this, you know, or lazy follows from this year. Let's talk one thing about this year, and I, we've talked about it in previous podcasts, Brad, was the moon. The moon obviously can be a, a, a great opportunity for you to put fish in the boat. But I think that in, in my experience, if I was only fishing moon, you know, moon windows this year, we would have had far less success than what we've had previously. Is that something that all of you have still noticed this year? Cause like this weekend, hmm. the 41 I got was, that was during the moon phase. But like yesterday morning, for example, we had three fish that were all off, off moon then we're like, all right, we're going to stick it out till I think moon was like, I don't know, roughly 1030 yesterday. So I'm like, we're going to, you know, we're going to stick it out until I think I stuck it out till like 11 yesterday because of the moon. Yep. And I had, we had no action during the moon phase. All of our action came off moon phase. And same thing with most of the weekend long. I think one, one of the fish that we had action from came during the moon. Everything else was off moon. So I just, is that something that you've seen, Steve? I know Brad, you and I have kind of talked about it. Hmm. I, I can't say that I've, I can't say that I've seen that. I'm always paying attention to the moon and, you know, day in and day out, you know, if we do have a moon event, meaning a major, a minor, a moon riser, a moon set, we'll usually have some action around that. Me being a guide, I, I fish all day, pretty much every day. So yes, we catch plenty of fish that are not related to moon times. Um, some are weather, weather related, some are not. Some are just situation related where you put the bait in the right spot at the right time and the right angle and the fish eats it. Uh, but day in and day out, I'm still going to look at those moon times. And if there's a one that is going to be going on when I want to be fishing or if I want to adjust my fishing schedule to maybe take advantage of that and be out there during that time, I usually will. Um and I had some pretty evident moon days this year where most of our action was during that time or our one bite, which a lot of days was that, you know, hardly any follows and just getting one good bite. And most of the times that was in the, in the moon window. So um, in general, I would say that wasn't, hasn't been the case for me here, but I don't know about for you, Brad. Yeah, it's been kind of something strange this whole year, actually, for us, Steve. And I, I can say that, you know, visiting with others, um, don't get me wrong. I mean, those those moon phases are really a big key. They always have been for me. But one of the things that I've noticed this year, um, we're basically seeing a ton of fish between noon and six o'clock, seven o'clock in the evening. Yeah. After that point, sunrise, sunset hasn't done squat for me. And yep. honestly, um, 
the moonrise, moonset, above head, underfoot, they really haven't been a key factor. It, it's been really strange. And I, yeah. I can say last week, last Thursday or Wednesday or Thursday was the first time that I seen it affect. And we were basically sunset and uh, the minor were all coming together in one. Yeah. Um, it happened about 40 minutes after the peak of the minor. So, you know, we kind of have a, had the dueling, uh, I guess, with uh, with the minor and the sunset. So it definitely uh, provided us a couple of But all in all for the season, it really hasn't mixed and matched real well for me. Uh, it's yeah. frustrating. I'll tell you what's been frustrating here for me and Jeff and I have talked about it is the sunset first dark bite. I have had almost no luck, and, and you hold out friends. all day, you know, and it's like, yo, you won't get one right at dark, you know, we'll have some, we'll have a bunch of action that last hour of the day, and I tell you what, day in and day out, it hasn't panned out for me, I have had way more midday and mid-afternoon, like you mentioned, um, and most of our larger fish have been early evening as opposed to, you know, right at dark or after dark, so. Whatever the deal is with that, it drives me nuts because you push yourself and try to do that and then nothing happens, so it's a little bit frustrating sometimes. Well, I think as musky fishermen, we all love sunset. There's no doubt about it. And uh, as the light goes down and, you know, it's getting a little bit darker, especially me where I'm fishing a lot of clear water. But right. it was so amazing to me. You know, the month of June I spent trolling. We did a lot of open water stuff. Yeah. Um, July came, comes around, but even in the open water trolling, we were noticing we were catching fish around 6 p.m. almost every night. Yeah. Um, and then we go into July, and it held through all the way through August. We had action almost every stinking day at 6 p.m. Now, why is that? I, I don't understand. Um, yeah. And it's funny, you know, Matt Seifert's been guiding up here a little bit with me. Um, he's seen it. Um, we talked to some guys at the landing. Those guys are like, you're right. It is around six o'clock that we end up with this bite, yeah, you know, and yeah. it, it's strange. I mean, no Every year is different too. You know, it's so to me, it's amazing how dynamic this whole deal is and that on uh, the lake I'm catching fish in this year, I probably won't be catching on next year. And uh, the lake that's good this week probably won't be next week. And the lures that were working last year are certainly not working this year. And, this color that was so awesome on this lake this last year, I can't get a bite on this year. You know, it's just amazing how the variables change so much. Um, there's, and there's no no doubt about that. <laughs> it has me scratching my head so many times. It's like, why isn't this working? And uh, just staying up with with what's the what's happening in the game day to day is probably the hardest thing of it right now. That's for sure. It's like I said on an earlier podcast earlier this year that. Um, <laughs> It's like you you finally, you got six months to catch a muskie, right? And you try to figure it out. Is it moonrise this year? Is it moonset? Is it right. And about the time that you kind of think you got it dialed in, the season's, the season's over. Season's over. And yeah. uh, then you start over again. But, you know, it's amazing. Um, it truly is. So paying attention to some of those details, though, will definitely put more fish in your boat. Absolutely. And, and I mold every year, uh, you know, it's much like you guys did there, kind of molding it around that 6 p.m. bite, whatever it may be. Here, it's usually what's the hot lake for the year. And, um, you know, it may take a month or two to fishing through several different lakes to figure out which ones are popping better than others. And, and then once you get that figured out, you spend your time on them. But, uh, you know, some years you can figure it out faster than others, and it's for sure. But 
it's weird. It always changes. That's that's the, the crazy thing about it. Well, let since obviously muskie fishing changes every single year. Let's talk about changes for a second, Steve. Um, one question I'd asked a lot on previous podcasts is patterns. So let's say you're on a pattern. Let's let's just assume it's I don't know junior cowgirls over the weeds. You go a day without you know you get nothing. Do you assume it's just off that day? Like how how soon or how long do you wait before you switch a pattern? Like if you've been on it, boy, you know that. You know what do you when do you make the change? That's a, a good question, a hard one to answer. Um, there was a time where I would run patterns much longer than I do now. Um, in that, you know, I would have confidence that if I kept something going for a certain amount of time, I would get a bite. Um, but it sure seems in the last couple of seasons where patterns are very, very fleeting in that it's rare I'm getting the, the same bite on the same bait from day to day. Um, and certainly from time of day can, can be a factor too. Um, I certainly have lakes where I have a confidence lure. We'll have at least one of those going all the time. Um, I'll have a second kind of an idea of what I think should be working. And it's usually a different style of bait. So I'll have a straight retrieve bait that I feel very confident in up front. My second bait is usually something that start and stops or glide side to side or has changing action. And then I'll usually play in the back with either a really big bucktail or something very fast or a large jerk bait or something weird. Uh, sometimes the larger bulldogs that the guys won't throw. I'm looking for a pattern that way. Um, once I get a bite and I have action on one style of lure, I will usually switch over to have two guys fishing that style of lure as long as I feel that that pattern will stay. Meaning the weather stays the same. We don't have any changing light. Um, the fish are still moving on them, things like that. Uh, there would be a time where I would say we'd continue with that all day long. Now I would say I fish those patterns for an hour or two. If we fish several hours and don't have any action, then I'll revert back one of those guys into you know, something different. Again, looking for a new pattern that may reemerge or something different that those fish want. Um, obviously, muskies are a little bit individualistic too. Um, and that not every fish in a weed bed wants the same pattern. Um, obviously, percentage-wise, you want to try to put together a pattern, something that's going to create consistent results. But reality is, is one muskie wants a bucktail burning by it, and another one wants a huge jerk bait that stops right in its face. Um, so you have just different moods. Um, much like people, muskies have different moods, um, and they certainly react to things differently and how they go by them. So putting patterns together is a challenge. Um, like I say. I used to put a lot more time into them. Now I'm certainly into changing more often. It just seems like that seems to get the result better uh, than in days past. There was a time where we'd all be three be throwing a double cow girl, right, Brad? And there was uh, a few expecting, times, yeah. expecting everybody to get bitten. And the reality was we were, but uh, you know, times have certainly changed that way. Um, we're still fishing that stuff, but not all of us are not all at the same time, and we're always looking for that that pattern to change so that's usually my job in the back of the boat is to keep playing with different things and what i think the bite may shift to um and looking for that next bite and that next pattern to emerge that's a good way to go about it i guess i since i spent so much time fishing with you steve obviously out of every person i fish i fished with it's i fished with you the most i have similar attributes to what you do mostly because you kind of you kind of morph into a little bit about who you fish with so like Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> you know, the more time you spend doing something or seeing somebody have success doing something, the more you're going to re repeat it. That's just being the, 
that's just being smart, obviously. Uh, but we also have differing styles, and you like to do some things a little bit differently. You've kind of turned me into a dive and rise guy a little bit this year, to be honest. Um, typically, I'm not a huge dive and rise guy. I'm more of a rubber guy and big bucktail guy. And, uh, you know, we've had uh, hard times, so to speak. And on those hard days, I've pulled up the suits and bobbies and things like that, some old school lures, and you know, put some nice fish in the net doing that. So you've morphed me a little, too. Well, that's good. At least I can rub <laughs> off a little bit positively on you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly been sure. this the last two seasons have been really good for me for diving and eyes between Bobby's Bobby's were more last year, but this year I don't know, it's just one of those things I got bit on a suic earlier, so I've been throwing suics more than Bobby's. They both work. Um just goes to show you you don't have to go out and spend $150 on a diving and eyes bait to catch a muskie. Not that you can't catch them on those yep. and you could certainly spend 150 bucks on one. It'd be, you know, it'd be an awesome bait, I'm sure. Yep. But you can get the job done with a $25 bait too. Yeah, it's it's amazing those old school uh, old school baits stand the test of time. And like I say, not a lot of guys can them so much anymore. So they're they're definitely something they don't see every day. I told Kyle this weekend. I said I have a feeling that if you threw a suic and or whatever rubber bait you prefer, you and I are bulldog guys mostly because when I started musky fishing, and Medusa wasn't even a thing. So it's kind of been your confidence deal. I throw bulldogs more. Right. You throw bulldogs more. But I have a feeling if you were throwing those two things you know, 80% of the time that you could get a bit on almost any given day. I, I'm sure there's days where they're going to want speed with blades, but I said a lot of the times I bet you can get a, a bite if you just throw those two tactics. Yeah, it's certainly trigger that bite, trigger that instinctual bite. And, and a lot of times it's, it's all about triggering the instincts of these fish. And so for bucktails, a lot of times speed is that trigger. So they sense something fleeing or trying to get away. And a lot of times, once they engage a bait like that and you increase the speed and the fish thinks that it's even going to get away from them even more, um, that seals the deal and makes them bite. Um, other things are the stop and starting and, and turning sideways and giving them an opportunity or a shot um, to make that head shot to get a good strike or a lure that stops perfectly in a pocket right above their face, right in their strike zone where they know that they can get it with very little ease, with ease, you know, very little trouble. Um, they'll instinctually grab that lure even if they're not hungry. Um, and I think that's something that uh, really good musky anglers figure out how to do is, is make fish bite that really aren't hungry. Uh, most of the time, these muskies are not actively feeding, uh, much to our chagrin. Um, they're hunkered down in there, and they're going to let everything go by them. It's only for a short period of time on any given day that each individual muskie gets active. And then having your lure in his strike zone during that period of time is the whole piece of the puzzle that you need to put together. And obviously when you realize it's such a small amount of time, it's not a huge opportunity there. So most of the time we're fishing for fish that, that aren't feeding and we need to trigger that instinctual response. And, and when you figure out certain moves and all these triggers that I mentioned before, um, you can make a fish that's not hungry bite. Um, you gain a lot of power in musky fishing and certainly how tournament anglers most of the time win tournaments is by making non-active or non-feeding muskies bite and getting them to eat, you know, in a situation under pressure. So um, something to think about, you know, triggering muskies on scanning. Yep, always. Well, a couple things I had on my list yet were we didn't, we haven't talked about live bait ever on the podcast, and now we're getting to that time of year where we should probably mention live bait. But why don't we talk a little bit about the pit tagging program you have up in Hayward, Steve? I know you're part of it. Oh, sure. We've tagged some muskies when we've been filming. We even did a, a video on it. Yep. Um, where we went through, tagged the muskie, talked about it a little bit. But for the people that haven't watched the video that are only listening to the podcast, why don't we talk a little bit about 
pit tagging and what the DNR can learn from pit tagging? Yeah, absolutely. So, so what we have going on up here in uh, Sawyer County, uh, my local biologist, Max Walter, is the head of the program here. A uh, pit tag is a passive integrated transponder. So basically what that is is a small little microchip. It looks like a grain of rice. Uh, we implant these in the fish, and in our area, we implant them all in the left cheek. Um, and basically what that is, it's basically like a UPC code with a scanner that reads these codes that it will ring up their individual numbers. So each fish has its own individual number. Um, we've been tagging fish uh, in the wild now for about the last 10 years. Um, and now in the last five or so years, they've been pit tagging all of the stock fingerlings from our hatchery. So all fish going out have been implanted with the tag before they leave the hatchery. Um, so we're getting a quite a large base of fish that are tagged. I think we're over 15,000 muskies in the county that we have tagged. And basically what we do is um, I have a reader. Several of the guides have readers. A lot of our muskies Inc. Um, members have readers. The DNR obviously has readers whenever they're out. Anytime we encounter a muskie, we check it to see if it's tagged. Um, if it is tagged, we take a nice accurate measurement, and I report that information back to my biologist, Max, and he'll let me know when the fish was tagged, how many times it's been handled, how much it's grown since it was tagged. Um, so basically what we're getting out of this information is we're learning how fast these fish are growing, growth rates. We're learning um, how often they're being caught. Um, we're learning how long they're living. Um, and especially so now that we're going to have fish tagged from being stocked, we'll know exactly how old those fish are. So we're getting um, length of life data. Um, we're also getting information about how these fish move from one body of water to another. Um, some have certainly um, migrated from, from bodies of water downstream primarily. Um, so it's just a lot of good information, which helps my biologists have more information, make better educated decisions, um, certainly have a better idea about population and how fast these fish are growing. Um, so they know how to approach stocking, when to stock, how much to stock, and all that. Um, so anytime I encounter a muskie that isn't tagged, I have permitting to, to implant a tag. So I carry these tags around with me. Uh, in fact, the fish that we got this morning was a nice 40-incher that did not have a tag. So um, I implanted a tag in that one. And, and uh, all I do is use a syringe, implant that small little tag into the cheek, um, record the data, the length of the fish. And that now we'll have, a, you know, another fish in the database. And basically, uh, I'll add another 100 or 150 muskies to their database each year uh, just to the fish that we catch that were not tagged. So just helping them out. Um, create a larger database and, and gaining a lot of information about growth rates, survival rates, and a lot of stuff that's a little bit intangible with muskies. Um, so it's making things a little bit easier to make decisions for those guys. It's a pretty extensive program. It's pretty cool. I would say with all the information that we have these days, all the different studies going on with muskies, catch and release, I mean, honestly, I think today, I think right now is the glory years of muskie fishing, in my opinion. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. Um, even when we have difficult seasons, uh, typically it's weather-related more than not having muskies available. There's more muskies now than there ever was, and obviously more larger muskies than there has ever been in, in the history of man. Uh, so it is the golden age of muskie fishing, and, and we have more knowledge, um, and we're making better educated decisions on management, um, which is important, in the knowledge of fishermen and how they handle fish and release fish. Um, has really increased tremendously here in the last, you know, decade or two decades. And um, places like Lake St. Clair, where they historically had a hard time releasing fish on those trolling boats, they're figuring out better ways to do it. Um, just the general public knows how to handle fish and keep them in the water and do the unhooking in the water and all those things that help the release of fish. So 
Um, I think in general, um, things are only getting better. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it's a blast to be able to be part of it, too. Couldn't agree more. Well, last topic I had on my list. Let's talk live bait, Steve. I know a lot of guys are going to start running it. If you're not, I think there's a chance you're missing out on opportunities to catch muskies. Let's let's talk all about it, too, because I know we've talked about it again. I don't want to go back to YouTube all the time, but we talked about it there. Live bait isn't necessarily just for fall. You and I, and especially you, run it as long into the season as you can, and you probably pick it up as early in the fall as you can. Absolutely, I do. Why don't you talk about rigging, the benefits of it, you know, just talk about live bait in general and just make more people aware of live bait yep here in wisconsin especially here in northern wisconsin the, the tradition of fishing live suckers is bait for muskies has been around forever uh, we've certainly refined the tactics uh back in the old days it was a single hook the muskies were allowed to swallow that sucker all the way down into their gullet they'd fight him in cut the line let him go and all was happy everybody thought they were having good releases the uh, reality was the majority of those fish did not do well uh, did not survive. In fact, our DNR did a study uh, studying that exact thing and uh, showed nearly 100% mortality of fish that were hooked deeper internally. Uh, so we have refined our rigging to use quick set rigs. So any sucker or any live bait that's over eight inches in length is required to have a live uh, quick set um, rig attached to it. And most guys are adhering to that rule. And uh, the, the cool thing about the quick set rig is basically well, as soon as the muskie grabs your live bait, uh, you basically all you have to do is figure out which way he's going and you're able to set the hook and, and you're in a position to set the hook. Um, I do use live bait basically as much as I possibly can. And that's really just um, trying to create as many opportunities as I can for my clientele. Um, if the water is cool in the spring and suckers are available, I will certainly run them. Typically, I'm running them in water up to about 70, 70 degrees in water temperature. And usually in the spring, we're fishing shallow, so I'm running them on very short lines, one to three feet of line, basically right off the side of the boat. And uh, you'd be amazed at the number of fish that we pick up incidentally that just blow up out of the weeds and grab them things, uh, running them in very shallow cover. And we also convert a few fellows that come in on lures, turn off, see that live bait, and grab it as well. Um, I'll run them into the summertime, sometimes June, even early July, depending on how fast the water warms up. Um, here in Wisconsin, Jeff, it's also legal to run game fish as live bait. So what I'll do in midsummer is actually run a small bass or small northern pike, northern pike being my preferred. Um, once the water gets over 70, the pike uh, seem to last a little bit longer on the rig. Um, you can easily catch a small pike just about everywhere we fish. Um, and they're very effective at catching muskies. Muskies like eat them. Um, so I'll run those even in the middle of summer. Once the water gets too warm, like it did this year, 75 and above, live bait is definitely out of the, you know, the realm of even being an option. It just becomes more of a tedious task. It takes away from your speed and efficiency and, and reduces your percentages. So once we get into this fall period now, my water temperatures are now dropping back into the upper 60s. Um, I certainly re-engage live bait. Um, again, we're starting shallow because those fish are pushing shallow right now at this time of year. and um, Basically starting to run suckers as we speak. And I'll run those on those short lanes once again. And then as the fall progresses, you know, when the fish move deeper, our sucker fishing moves deeper and our tactics move deeper. Um, but it certainly increases your odds. Here in Wisconsin, we're able to use multiple lines per angler. Most of my lakes, I can run uh, three lines per angler so I can run a couple of suckers off the back while my guys cast. Um, which, again, just 
increases your odds by having more lines in the water and having a you know a different opportunity down. Um, it certainly works very well. Um, you'd be amazed at the number of fish that we do pick up on those shallow weeds on those suckers too. I use the Shumway Clip and Go rig. It's by far my favorite. Um, I've gone through them all. I've used the rubber band rigs. Um, there are some decent rigs with a small hook that you use to position the, the rig. Um, they will all work, but I've I've tried them all, and I've certainly um, come to rest on the Shumway Clip and Go. Um, it's by far the easiest to rig. It's by far the highest hooking percentage, and for me, that's the key. Um, we don't miss very many fish on them. I'd say our hooking percentage is probably above 80%. But on a lot of the other styles of rigs, um, our hooking percentage is probably in the 50-60% range. Um, so we're hooking a lot more fish with these rigs. Uh, the key to live bait fishing is, um, obviously, it's a quick set rig, which means you want to set the hook relatively quickly. But it doesn't mean you just want to willy-nilly grab the rod and jerk. Uh, so typically on a strike on a live bait, uh, we'll get all of our casting lines in, get our rods put to the side. I'll position the boat to have the angler up front with the sucker rod. And then what we'll do is we'll just put pressure on that fish and try to determine which direction that the muskie wants to swim. And now once that fish makes a, you know, a dedicated run in a certain direction, uh, we'll close the bale and we want to set that hook back towards the tail of the muskie. So you're hooking back into the corner of the mouth. Um, and really that's the key is to try to hook back away from the direction that the fish is going. A lot of guys make the mistake of also going with a high hook set or a straight up hook set, which is absolutely nothing that I ever want to have in my boat. Um, usually have a low hook set at a 45 degree angle or sometimes even much lower, depending on the direction of the fish. Um, and that, again, that just aids in pulling those hooks back into the corner of the mouth as opposed to pulling them up into the roof of the mouth. Um, if you can get them hooks back into the corner, you're going to have a lot higher hook percentage. And uh, for the rod, I use a St. Croix. Um, and actually, my favorite sucker rod is uh, it's on uh, fiberglass and graphite composite. It's on the St. Croix uh, Premier, eight foot heavy. And uh, that rod has a nice bend to it. The fiberglass is nice, and then it creates a moderate bend, and then that rod bends all the way through the blank. But it's still very stiff and very durable. So you get a good solid hook set, but that rod loads the entire bend. And that enables my clients who maybe aren't the strongest hook setters to get the fish hooked and keep a good bend in the rod while they're fighting the fish. And with that nice moderate bend, we get a lot more, you know, fish that stay pinned. Um, and that's a great rod also when it gets cold. If you get down in those 30s, 20s, and late season, you need to have a lot less chance of uh, having breakage as you can have with the graphite rod. So um, that's live baiting in a nutshell. I don't know if you have any questions about anything I talked about there, but um, basically, those clipping goes, um, having that uh, eight foot heavy, that glass rod is nice. Um, the other thing that I would mention is to don't use anything less than 100 pound test on your sucker rods. Um, I have seen 80 pound break just from the shock of the hook set on a big fish on a short line. Um, so, err on the side of having he too heavy of line, I don't go with anything less than 100, and I actually run 130 sometimes. Um, and fish generally are not line shy, especially in the waters I fish. Um, so it's certainly not an issue there. Um, so 100 pound test is the way to go on that. And then that chum lake with the blue rig. I was just curious where you're running those uh, suckers then, Steve. I mean, are you out, you know, you're fishing off the port side and you put it off the starboard or are you running? No, I actually boat? will run it on side. So always fish port side of my boat. It's my power side. Um, I'm almost always fishing that side of the boat unless something's 
the wind is weird or whatever. Um, and I'll usually run, um, in the fall, I'll certainly run two suckers, one off port, one off starboard. But if I'm only running one, I'm going to run off port right behind me. And basically what I do is every time I bring my bait in, I figure eight it right into that sucker. So if I do have a follower that I don't see, the first thing that it's going to see when it comes around that corner is a sucker. Um, and I'll keep it on a short line. And the other reason I keep it on that side too, Brad, is that I can visually watch that thing. And I'm watching that sucker, and, and the deal is, is they'll swim through weeds relatively well. They will dry, swim around clumps. They generally don't want to drive themselves right into stuff. So in general, they're pretty good about getting around stuff. But if I'm watching and I see that that sucker's about to run himself right into a big clump of weeds, um, I can quickly just put my foot down on the bottom of that rod, lift it up, make that sucker go up to the surface, and then he goes back down, and I can basically steer him through the weeds without even having to slow down. Um, by having it on the offset side, um, you can run one a little deeper along the edge, but a lot of times it's on your backside, so you're not visually watching it, and that one becomes a little bit more tedious. It's getting in the weeds more often, and you're going to have to spend a little more time cleaning it off, which, whatever, no big deal. As a guide, I don't have any problem doing that, and that's probably why I'm successful with it, and then I'll run suckers right through the thickest weed beds. I don't mind cleaning a few, few weeds off, and I found that a lot of times those suckers will swim right through there quite cleanly. And uh, the number of fish that we pull out by doing it works very well. And obviously, that's the early portion of the fall. As the fall progresses and the fish move deeper, then I'm fishing those suckers much deeper, um, longer lines. Uh, we'll start working that primary and secondary break um, in that 10 to 30 foot range. And then I'm on those suckers down 10 to 30 feet and adding weight. And it's a whole different scenario. But um, a lot of bait works certainly anytime that you can run it and keep it alive and put it in front of a muskie. Is basically my recipe makes sense i just uh thought maybe you might be able to add a little bit more to that and you definitely did that so yeah it's, for sure i know over in minnesota the sucker fishing is catching on but you guys aren't allowed to do the multiple lines so a lot of times you'll have a couple guys in the boat have one casting drawn fish in and then a couple guys fishing suckers um certainly very effective that way too but uh, i love fishing here and that i am allowed to run multiple lines and it gives us more opportunities for sure there's no doubt. There's guys over here doing it. There's, it's obvious. But I mean, I, myself, I don't. I've done it, but I, I generally, I'll stick to my wood and my, uh, right, uh, rubber during the fall. And yep. you know, and if I could only have one line, I would probably just be keep casting. You know, that would be the mentality that I would have too. But uh, right, it's nice having those multiple lines and that we can run that live bait. And you know, it amazes me. You know, a lot of guys think of suckers as only working in october and, and honestly i've caught most of my sucker fish before then you know in june and july and, and september uh, we catch a lot of fish on suckers and, and the times that guys aren't running on and i think maybe that's another advantage that i'm creating too is, is running live bait when other guys aren't well brad you got anything else to add to this one i don't know steve covered things pretty pretty well as of, as expected all right well steve we appreciate all the information that you gave to us um if people want to get in touch with you, how do they go about doing that? All you got to do is give me a shout on my cell phone, 715-558-3709, or you can go to my website at fishhunts.com, or, of course, Facebook at Steve Jensen, G-E-N-S-O-N, or Jensen's Fish Hunts Guide Service. If you want to see Steve in action, you can check him out on our YouTube channel. He's on there enough. I think this coming weekend you're going to finally have one from when I was up there in June. 
Awesome. So we're going to start releasing some fishing videos, and Steve's in a bunch of them. Caught a bunch of cool fish this summer. We did, you know, as, much, as tough as the season's been, Steve, we actually did pretty well filming-wise, I feel. We have been. We've been very fortunate on the filming end of it, and uh, that's always awesome. That's kind of cool when uh, you go to a tournament and catch fish, or when you go filming and you catch fish. Um, it certainly makes it a little bit more uh, enjoyable. and We put our time in, no doubt about it, but we've had some good stuff and look forward to all of that video coming out here. And you're going to have a lot of stuff coming out all the way through the end of the year, it looks like right now. Yeah, we should be able to do that. And we got one more trip with you up in September next week, I think, next weekend. Yep, coming Today's up fast. Month. Today's Tuesday. Yeah, it's going to be here real fast. It seems like I was just there. Um, Brad, you want to wrap up for Muskie Mayhem Tackle today? Yeah, for sure. Um, you can reach us at muskymayhemtackle.com. Um, you can also find us on Instagram as well as Facebook. Love to hear from everybody out there. Send us some fish pictures of uh, fish caught on our product. And uh, we also will be putting out some YouTube uh, videos probably I don't know, it's looking like December is kind of what the time frame is going to be. But uh, I'll announce that again and we'll talk more about that in the future. But, you know, we've spent some time in the boat doing some filming as well. Uh, definitely would like to make that a component with our business. Yeah, certainly you'll, be, you'll have plenty of time to talk about YouTube if you're going to be doing it in December. The goal, obviously, was for us to put out a new video every or a new episode every Wednesday, which we've accomplished so far. I think, Brad, eventually, if our schedules slow down a little bit, we maybe would throw a those bonus episodes that we talked about on a Monday or a Friday, we'd maybe get back to one or one or two of those every so often. But as of now with the schedule we've been running, it's been hard enough just to get one out a week. Yeah, there's no doubt, Jeff. I mean, I, whether it uh, be your businesses that you're running as well as our business, we're running here and the time on the water, uh, maybe this winter it'll ease up a little bit and we can get some more of those uh, double episodes out a week. Yeah, unless you and I are going to go ice fishing together and start filming that stuff, which I don't see happening. <laughs> Team Rhino Outdoors uh, ice fishing packages. Um, I mean, I'm... Don't even tempt him. Don't even tempt him, Brad. Well, he's, he's been tempted here from last week with uh, Ben Olson, um, kind of thinking about maybe trying the fly fishing thing. So now, oh, we brother. Oh, boy. Fishing. Oh boy! <laughs> you didn't you didn't listen to that episode, apparently, did you, Steve? <laughs> I didn't. I missed it. Oh, that's too bad. It was a, it was a good one. Ben had a lot to offer. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, he had a lot to offer about fly fishing. It was really cool to talk to him about it. Definitely got my wheels spinning, but I just I don't know. I, I, I it's just so hard. Musky fishing is so hard to start with. Oh, I just don't know that I want to make it even tougher. Even harder, exactly. It's all about the new. The new cool equipment, though. Right? got to be new and cool. Yeah, I'll stick with my old equipment that I have right now. <laughs> it's good enough. Uh, yes. So anyways, wrapping up my end of it, this is uh, the Backlash Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we post occasionally. Check us out. Like us on Facebook occasionally. We run contests to give some stuff away. We also have, um, we'll post questions for future guests on there, too. You can also email Backlash Podcast at, uh, it would be backlashpodcast at gmail.com. The company I run is Team Rhino Outdoors. We're a custom lure retailer, mostly custom, I should say. We do carry some stock colors now. We obviously, uh, it's weird because we change up our product and our colors and our stuff all the time. I shouldn't say all the time, but frequently. We'll even have some new colors and bulldogs coming here pretty soon, which we haven't done yet this year because mostly I've been too busy. Anyways, if you want to look at our products, check them out at 
www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. You can also find the sucker rigs that Steve had previously mentioned on there too. We're well stocked getting ready for fall. I guess that's it, guys. Awesome. Oh, you can also find you can also find uh, Team Rhino Outdoor stuff on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. So that's it. Thanks again for coming out, Steve. We really appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Brad, I'm sure we're going to have to talk to you sooner than later because usually we have a few episodes ready to roll. And obviously, if I have to edit this one tonight to get it on tomorrow, we do not. So we will be talking to you soon. <laughs> so thank you for coming out. Hey, no problem. Thanks, Steve. And yep. uh, you bet. thank you, Jeff. So it was good stuff. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you.